Hi. I am Joshua Dillon. As Leonor said, I am speaking tonight, and I volunteer to help. Actually, I knew what she said. It just seemed fun to raise my hand right then, especially because I was standing next to Paul Keene, and if you know him, me raising my hand is about as tall as he is. So... Um, I have a TNIV is the normal Bible that I use, but I kind of want to speak from the NIV tonight. So I went back to the back there uh, and got a Bible, where if you do not have a Bible, I suggest you can either go back there and grab one or um, share one with a neighbor or whatever. The particular NIV that I found was the NIV Adventure Bible. Are you guys ready for an adventure? Fletcher said to me earlier, he goes... Last time you spoke, you spoke from the mom's Bible. This time you speak from the kid's Bible. And I go, uh, not only kids want to have adventures, Fletcher. So I'm glad you guys are up for it. Let's pray, shall we? Enough of this tomfoolery. God, thank you for the ability to gather here together for food in our stomachs, for uh, this building to worship in, for the people who are sitting next to us, um, for this community. Thank you for an opportunity to be able to open your word, whether it be in a, a specialized Bible or a general one or whatever, whatever translation, Lord, that we have access to your word. We have access to the story, Jesus, of how you came and how you worked on this earth and how you died for us and rose again, bringing new life. Let us remember these things and let us be open to how you want to speak to us and how you want us to speak to you and approach you tonight. Amen. This evening, we are continuing our series in Mark. We took a brief aside for Easter and uh, talked about the resurrection, which I think was well worth it. Um, And we have been in Mark for a little while now, a couple months. And this evening, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6. So without further ado, I'm going to go there. If you would go there with me, Mark's the second book of the New Testament. And... uh, Read some verses. When last we saw Jesus, he was in Capernaum. Um, He was healing. uh, He was doing miracles. He had just come there, and uh, he healed a woman who had been subject to bleeding, and he, he raised a little girl from the dead. So really intense, powerful stuff. And uh, that's where we pick up the story here. It says, Jesus left there, verse 1, and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, 
Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So let me get this straight. Here we are in a Christian church, reading a passage in a Christian Bible that talks about how Jesus, who we Christians believe to be God himself, couldn't heal people. Does that seem a little weird to anybody? Jesus can't heal people in this story. Now, in preparation for this message, I've done a lot of reading on this passage, and there's a lot of different explanations that people offer for why Jesus wasn't able to heal people here. Kind of nuanced, a lot of them have some similarities. One that I appreciated particularly was uh, the scholar I was reading was saying that Jesus wasn't able to heal people because the people didn't um, believe in him and were offended by him, and so they didn't come to him. They didn't bring their people to him in order to be healed. You know, normally when we see Jesus doing healing, um, like we saw in Capernaum and many other places in the Bible, there's crowds trying to listen to him, trying to get close to him. There's people being lowered through the rooftop of the building that he's in. There's people seeking Jesus out, and as they seek him out, he heals them. Now, it's not always like that, but oftentimes people are coming to Jesus. And while I think that's a valuable explanation and certainly could be a part of the situation here, the tricky thing is that when we look at this text, when we look at this passage in the original Greek, we see that it makes things a little bit more complicated for us. We see that it literally says that Jesus does not have the power to work miracles. The word for power in Greek is dunamis. It's the word that we get dynamite from. means, you know, Really powerful. (laughs) Explosively powerful. So the word that is translated miracle as well, like, is the word dunamis. That in the Greek, miracle essentially means miraculous power. It's It's an acting of power. But when we look at the Greek here as well, When it says, Jesus was not able, that word, able, is dunamai, same word. So, literally translated, this says that Jesus did not have the power to work miraculous power. It's funny. Has anybody ever heard the... uh, kind of atheist argument for the impossibility of uh, all-powerful God. The question is, can God make a stone so heavy that he can't move? You guys heard that? 
I read a comic the other day. Tim Dunbar, if you, any of you guys know Tim, sent me a comic the other day. I forget the name of it. Um, it's got a couple dinosaurs. Does anybody know the name of that comic? What's that? No, it's not BC. It's these dinosaurs that are always doing the exact same thing, but they're talking. Anyways, beside the point. The dinosaurs, the one dinosaur says to God that question, God, can you make a stone so heavy that you can't move it? And God says, yeah, boom, done. There's a rock there in the comic. And uh, the dinosaur says, whoa, how can you do that? Like, doesn't that prove that you're not all powerful? Move, move the stone, but you can't. And God's like, no, I just uh, decided that I'd make myself even more powerful. and I'm all ripped now. You should see my biceps. <laughs> Pretty funny. Actually kind of helpful. <laughs> What's, what's funny is that we don't really need that question for atheists to ask us that question in order to confound us. Because here in the Bible that we believe, the Adventure Bible, that we believe that teaches us that God is all-powerful, we have a similar conundrum. Here Jesus is, God himself, and he is unable, he doesn't have the power to work miracles among these people. What do we make of that? How do we get to the bottom of that? How do we make sense of that? I think the only way for us to figure it out is to take a closer look at the people who Jesus couldn't heal. Jesus is in his hometown. Jesus has been traveling around, healing, doing all sorts of crazy stuff, raising people from the dead. Big deal, if you didn't know. He goes back to his hometown where he spent most of his life, where he was a carpenter. It's not a big town. It's a small town. Anybody here from a small town? Everybody knows everybody's business, and everybody knows everybody. These people had been spending time with Jesus since he was little. Decades of time spent with Jesus. These were not strangers who were going, we're not going to believe in you, Jesus. These were people who were going, hey, wait a second. Don't we know his mother? Don't we know his brothers? Aren't his sisters like right here in church, in the synagogue with us? Who does he think he is? And they, the scripture says that they were offended by him. There's lots of reasons why they could have been offended by Jesus. You know, maybe they're like, hey, 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 you're a carpenter. Like, you made me that chair one time. Like, who do you think you are? Like, you're way above your status level here. Who do you think you are going around reading scripture, you know, reading from the scroll of Isaiah and saying, you know, I am here to bring good news to the poor. Who do you think you are? In fact, I wasn't all that impressed with that chair. I asked for oak and you made a cherry one. I mean, think, think of a situation like, I got a buddy I grew up with, name of Mike Douglas, not the actor. 
Mike had a pool. He had a lot of soda in his house. We pretty much used Mike when we were kids. Hey, Mike, can we come over to your house and swim? He knew it. What if Mike Douglas showed up right here and was like, I shall heal you, you know? Somebody I've known, somebody I spent time with, somebody, you know, oh, that would be awkward. Um, I was very familiar with. This was someone I knew. Think about that. You guys have all got people from your past that if they showed up and started, you know, making claims to be very powerful, even if, even if you'd heard that they'd proved it, you'd be like, I don't know, man. Mike, your ears might be too big to be as powerful as you're saying you are. You got to know, Mike, he had big ears. Mike, if you listen to this, I love you. I would try to accept you. So these people were like taken aback, were offended by Jesus in their midst. This person that they knew coming amongst them and saying, I can heal. Even though they heard of the stuff that had happened over in Capernaum, even though they heard that he was going around teaching, preaching, healing, casting out demons, no, not possible. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Even if he can do this stuff, who does he think he is? Because they knew so much about him, they were offended by him, and they refused to trust in him. So Jesus is, you know, is amazed at their lack of faith. Like, they are so faithless that he is actually like, you know, Jesus who can tell what people are talking about when they're talking behind his back, who can know what people are thinking, who can do all these crazy things. He is like surprised. He's taken aback, amazed at their lack of faith. Heals a couple people and he moves on. He goes, okay, time to head out. Time to go somewhere else. And so he's traveling around different villages doing his ministry, and he calls his disciples to him, his 12 disciples, and he says, listen, guys, let's ramp this mission up a little bit. It's time for you guys to go out. He decides he wants to send these guys out to go uh, throughout the countryside and preach the message that the kingdom of God was near. It's time to repent. So here, continuing in uh, Mark 6, says, Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house... Stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. You know what's crazy about this passage? 
the disciples who were just with Jesus in Nazareth, who had just seen that Jesus did not have the power to heal, to do miracles in Nazareth. These disciples are going out with Jesus, and Jesus says to them, Hey, come here, guys. Listen, I'm giving you the power to drive out evil spirits. I'm giving you the power to go and preach. And you know what? While you're at it, don't take any of that stuff that would be super helpful to have in the ancient world that would make it possible to survive easily and do the mission easily. Forget all that stuff. Trust me. Trust in me. I'll provide what you need. They were just with Jesus where he didn't have power. There is no recording. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this. And in none of those passages does anyone mention any of the disciples arguing with Jesus about this. Now, if you know Peter... He argues sometimes. If he's not into it, he wants, he wants to get to the situation. But these disciples, they go, okay, check. Jesus, we're doing it. We believe. We don't need to take any of this stuff. They go out without money, without food. They go out. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever, um, like, tried to cast out an evil spirit. Uh, kind of scary. Kind of want to make sure you know what you're doing before you try to do something like that. Could be intimidating, let alone healing somebody. If anyone's been involved in healing prayer uh, and really wanting to believe God, like, hey, your leg is healed. Get up and walk. It's tough to believe. It's tough to actually believe that's going to happen. In fact, Jay Pathak, who's the, path, uh, the preacher of the vineyard in Denver, uh, told us a story once when he was at one of our staff meetings uh, talking to us about prayer. He said there was one time where uh, a guy came up for prayer uh, to be healed of blindness. And Jay's like, okay. Prays for the guy. All of a sudden the guy goes, wait, wait, I can see. I think I can see. And Jay goes, no way. <laughs> he prayed for him and he didn't believe. Like it, it, it took him aback. Like, no way, this isn't possible. How can you now see? It's tough. It's tough to believe that this sort of stuff will happen. Yet the disciples who had just seen Jesus not be able to do this stuff were out there doing it. And the scripture reports, Tina, would you pull that scripture up again for me? Ah, the second one, the the last scripture slide. Thank you. The scripture reports that those disciples drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. They were able to do it. They went out, they did it, and it was effective. And here's the thing about it, too. The disciples only partially know who Jesus is as well. The people in Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, they knew a lot about Jesus. They didn't know all there was to know about Jesus, as if that's possible. The disciples only partially know who Jesus is as well, right? You know, some people at this time, Jesus had not yet 
died on the cross for our sins. He had not yet been resurrected. He had not yet ascended into heaven, proved himself to be God. The disciples are like, man, we don't know who this guy is, but something's going on. Something that we want to trust in. Some people are saying that this is Elijah reincarnated. Later on, some people even say it's John the Baptist spirit come back. Some people are saying he's a prophet. Some people are saying he's a political deliverer. They don't know all there is to know about Jesus. They only partially know the story. But they trust him. They go, okay, okay, we'll do that. We're going to trust you that something can happen here. We're going to interact with you with belief, with faith. And they go out and amazing things happen. And it's not easy. They don't know all there is to know about Jesus. But somehow, it isn't about that. It's about them using what they know and trusting him. And in that, this happens. They preach. They're able to have the faith that God will provide all their needs. They don't need to worry about things. They don't need to store things up. They don't need to carry things on them. That if they... Seek first God's kingdom, all the things they need will be provided. You'll find that scripture as well in Matthew six thirty three. But the people of Nazareth, they were so effective in their knowledge, yet unbelief, yet lack of trust in Jesus, that in a sense... They showed us that God has, in fact, created a stone that he will not move. Now, catch the difference here. God has not created a stone that he cannot move because he could just make himself more ripped and move it. God has created a stone that he chooses not to move. In fact, he's created several billion stones that he chooses not to move. He's created... Potentially, 172 stones that he chooses not to move. God has made humanity and chosen to interact with human beings in such a way that can make it impossible for him to work as he would desire to work because in our lack of trust, in our lack of faith, we can say no to God. We can put up a wall to God. When I was speaking this morning, I shared the story of my brother a time where I had a seminary assignment to uh, have an interaction with him. My brother's not a Christian. And um, I was just supposed to go and talk with him about my faith and talk with him about his beliefs 
ask him, you know, what is it you believe? Why do you believe that? Can I tell you a little bit about what I believe? And so we talk about how the world was created and, uh, and who God is and how he interacts with us and what's the nature of humanity and all these sorts of things. And at the end of it, I go, okay, what do you believe about Jesus? He goes, I, I don't really think he ever existed. And I go, uh... What about, like, evidence outside of the Bible, like Josephus or something that reports about Jesus? I didn't even finish with this sentence. And my brother's like, no, we are not talking about this. I'll talk with you about all this other stuff, but I won't talk with you about Jesus. He put up a wall. He would not let God pass that wall. He knew a lot of stuff. I've had plenty of conversations with him. He's heard me preach, so on and so forth. But my brother had decided at that point in time in his life that there would be a wall and God could not come past it. And you know what? God won't force it. My brother did not and does not trust in Jesus. Pray for him. The fact of the matter is, Our knowledge about who God is, about who Jesus Christ is, provides us with some opportunities. The more you know about Jesus, the more time you've spent with him, perhaps decades of your life, perhaps constant time, the more you know about Jesus and have interacted with him, him, the more opportunity you have to trust in him. The more the disciples walked with Jesus, the more opportunity they had to trust in him. Can you think about it? When Jesus was crucified, when he was taken, when he was arrested, all the disciples ran away. All of them. Some of them naked. Weird. (laughs) When he was resurrected and when he ascended... The disciples went to their graves believing in Jesus. They were martyred for the sake of belief in Jesus. There was no running away. They were standing on this because they knew more about Jesus. They had more opportunity to trust in him. He had worked his power in them. They had interacted with him. The Holy Spirit had come. More engagement, more potential trust. I, if you talked to me 10 years ago and asked me uh, if, if it would be okay for me to, um, or how I would feel about raising all of my salary to live every single month, which is what we do here at Scum of the Earth, the staff has to raise all their support from outside sources in order to get paid every month. If that would have been okay with me, I would have been like, yeah, maybe I'll work another job and I'll work two hours a week and that'll be okay. Yet here, from walking with Jesus, from seeing him provide for me month after month after month after month, providing me with the salary with enough money to live every single month, now I can be $500 short a week before payday and I go, 
God's going to take care of it. Somehow, may not be in the form of dollars, but God's going to take care of it. And he always does. But there's another side of the coin. The more you know Jesus, the more opportunity you have to not trust him. The more you know about Jesus, the more interactions you've had with Jesus provides you more opportunity to go, I got it figured out. I know how God works. I know how he is capable of engaging with my life. I know what he will do and he will not do. I'm on my own with this one. I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to work through this. I'm going to have to worry about this. Or just, I don't know, man. Prayer doesn't seem like it's been that uh, effective for me all the time. Now, I've been walking with Jesus for a while, and it seems like I should just uh, keep doing it the way I've been doing it, which is just, uh, you know, maybe offer up a quick prayer and then take care of it. Maybe it's that I wouldn't even bother. I've got this Jesus thing in the bag. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to do what I want otherwise, because that's what Jesus is for, to save me, to make this sin thing not a big deal, and I'll be taken care of. The more you know Jesus, the more opportunity you have to think you got them all figured out, like the people of Nazareth, and to become offended when Jesus wants to do something new or different or show up in your life. He's trying to. He wants to. I don't know everybody's story. I don't know all the answers. I don't know what you're going through. I know that he wants us to have the trust of the disciples and not the doubt that throws up a roadblock. If you know Jesus, you can trust him more or you can trust him less. Ask yourself, right here, right now, where you're at, what's it going to be?